Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three or four hours, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board. And at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate you, brother. You didn't yet open up your Bibles, uh, turn to John 6. That's where we're going to be. For those of you who are here for the first time, my name's Scott Brudd. I get to serve as the pastor here. It is one of the highest honors that I get to talk about this to you, and I hope that it encourages your faith. Uh, uh, Mike mentioned it at the beginning, uh, and I'll just reemphasize it. We have our wives coming back to us today. For those of us who had wives or ladies go on the women's retreat, they were over at the beach, and apparently right now they're in a five-mile traffic jam at the Virginia Beach Bridge. So uh, let's just pray for patience and godliness in that situation for them. But, you know, when, when you have the women go on a retreat, uh, they go to the beach. The men, we go where? The to the mountains, Right. So, so how many of you, when you go on vacation, you're beach people? Like you say, I'm heading east. I'm getting in that water. How many of you head to the mountains? How many of you go to lakes in the mountains? Aha, you're half and half. I like it. Good coffee right there. So like I, I grew up uh, going to both, but I would say that my preference would be uh, the, the mountains with the lake in it, right? I, I, but I grew up on the water, right? Like I actually, uh, I grew up going down to, uh, going over to Smith Mountain Lake. I grew up in North Carolina, but my, uh, my family would often go to Smith Mountain Lake, and I just loved being on the water, boating, skiing, wakeboarding, all sorts of stuff. But, but like, uh, we would also go to the beach, right? So like, I liked the beach. It's just sandy, and I don't like sand. It's just coarse, and it gets everywhere, right? Star Wars quote, Mm-mm, I'm a geek. All right. But when you, go, like, when you go to the beach, like it's got an incredible beauty to it, doesn't it? Like Especially as the sun sets and you see the pinks and the, and the purples all, all across the dark blues. Like It's an incredible image. But I got to tell you, it's a, it's a looming thing. The beach can be a pretty terrifying thing, can't it? Like, it, you, you have to honor the sea. You have to respect it in a way, right? Like, I, I grew up, uh, I would say probably when I was uh, maybe eight or ten years old, uh, my family was at the beach for a vacation, um, and um, I have an identical twin brother. He and I were out in the water, and he was on his raft, and I was trying to get on it, but the waves started pulling us out further and further and further. And so I was kind of fat and chubby uh, growing up and really weak, and I couldn't pull myself up. 
And so I started getting to the point where I was trying to dance on my tippy toes to keep my head above water while I was holding on to the raft. And I was, I was getting pretty close to, to not being able to stay up. And uh, my brother was getting out even further, but he was on a raft. Who cares about that, right? He was fine. So um, I'm sitting there, like, drowning, don't know what I'm going to do. And, and my, my mom and my dad start running. And, and my mom is the one who came and got me. And she lifted me up onto the raft, and, and I, was, I was fine. Uh, made it through that okay. But, like, I'm pointing that out because, like, you can stand on the shore of a beach and just say, man, this is just beautiful. You can go by an incredible lake nestled into the mountainside and just say, man, this is an incredible view. This is so beautiful. Or a nice creek that, or a river that bumbles through the roads and underneath the pathways. And, and yet we, awful, we, like, we often forget just how insanely deadly water can be. We need it for life, but it can take life too, can't it? Like we, we just saw it happen just a few weeks ago down in Florida with the hurricane, these floods. People don't die from the winds. Most people die from the water. And we have these floods, these raging rapids and seas. And, and no matter how experienced you say you are with water, no matter how experienced you are with drinking it, no matter how experienced you are with, with swimming in it, it can be a deadly force. It can be a raging force for destruction. And yet in today's story, in today's passage, we see our Jesus walking across it. Like it's nothing. Like he's gone for a stroll now, I want to make sure, because we're going to walk through this passage, and I want to make sure that you're not confusing this with another story very similar to this that's in the other Gospels. There is another story where Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. The, the, he's napping, just taking a snooze, and the storm rolls in, and everything gets so crazy that even experienced fishermen are crying, saying, we're going to die, right? We need Jesus. And so they wake him up. He says, peace, be still. The storms cease. He says, why were you of so little faith? Why didn't you believe? So that's another miracle, right? We're, we have a very specific story here, a different one. And, and I would also point out that John's recollection of this story, his writing of this story is different from Matthew's and Mark's. Matthew and Mark probably, I think, include a, a few additional details. So like Matthew his account includes Peter getting out on the water and walking to Jesus. And then when he gets overwhelmed by the waves, he goes under, right? Mark's gospel includes that this boat had gotten out into the middle of the sea. And not only that, it also includes that the winds stopped when Jesus got into the boat. But John doesn't record those things. John knows of those things, but he doesn't record them in his. He's very intentional about what he's writing here. Not only does they do that, like, so we're not, uh, my, let me just say that my effort today isn't to try to harmonize the three different gospel stories. It's, it's not part of what I'm trying to accomplish. I just want to focus on what John intended to write, what God wrote through the author John. And I want to focus on that because he had a purpose behind it. And so let me tell you this. Um, I, I want to uh, encourage you, uh, there's going to be six 
key themes, six parts to what we're going through in this passage. And what I want to encourage you to do is write them down as we go. Uh, You guys know those artists that they have the massive canvas and they're sitting here all dramatically going, right? And then they paint this and they throw it on there and it's like, just looks like nonsense. And then they go, and it's like this beautiful picture, right? You've seen those? They're pretty incredible. Today's gonna be pretty much like that, right? So I'm gonna give you some sort of like, I'm throwing everything up on this and then at the end, we're gonna turn it around. And so if you write down the points, that's gonna make sense, all right? So six different parts. First is the command. The command. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna remind these of you, uh, for you as we go through them. Command, threat. The second is threat. Third is inadequacy. Fourth is fear, fifth, Jesus, and sixth, safety. So we have command, threat, inadequacy, fear, Jesus, and safety. And then we're, after we've gone through all of those themes that are in this story, uh, we're going to ask, what's the point? We're going to ask, what's the point? So you know how that comedian said, here's your sign, right? Like we're going to ask that. What's the sign of, of Jesus walking across the water? What's it pointing to? So with that, let me set up the scene a little bit more because we've been walking through the Gospel of John and there's context, right? So we just finished the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You remember that, right? There were at least maybe 12 to 15,000. Some even say maybe 20,000 because women and children weren't included in the count of the five. And they're following Jesus. They're following Jesus to that hillside and they're not going after him in obedience. They're not following him because they're trying to obey him. They're following him because he's entertaining, because they want the signs. They want to see him do cool things, right? And Jesus, despite that, mercifully tends to one of the most basic needs that humans could ever experience, and that's hunger, right? He tends to them with a lunchable. Right? They've got five bread biscuits or whatever you want to call them, little pancake-looking things, and two anchovies, right? two little fish, five loaves and two fish. And Jesus feeds 5,000 plus with it. And the crowds respond in amazement. Right, They're like amazed. They say, hey, hey, this is that prophet guy that Moses was writing about back in Deuteronomy 18. And so what do they do? They say, all right, Jesus, we want you to come be our king. We want to use you for our political purposes, right? We talked about that last week. Don't have time for this week. But they try to make Jesus to be their king. You don't force Jesus into your own purposes. You receive his, right? That's what we ended on last week. And, 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 and so Jesus, in response to this, he's like, nope, I'm not going to allow that. And what does he do? He withdraws into the mountainside, into the hillsides, and he sends the disciples onward and dismisses the crowd. He, the crowd disbands. So, like, keep this in mind. Last week's story, the feeding of the 5,000, how many people observed this? Just go ahead and shout it. How many do we think? 12,000, right? 12,000 people saw Jesus break bread and fish and feed over 12,000 people with it. There's, There's massive crowds getting to see that sign. How many people see the sign of Jesus walking on water? Just the 12. Just his disciples. Only the 12. So like last week, the feeding of the 5,000, 
That was a sign for the masses, for the crowd, even I would even say for the world, regardless of where your position is with Jesus. This sign is for you. This is a miracle for an unbelieving or believing person. That sign points to something for them. But then they have this week and this sign. And I would venture to put before you that Jesus walking on water, much more deep than that, but that sign is intended for those who follow Jesus alone. Because only the disciples notice it. Only the disciples get to observe it. Next week, when we get to the next part of this story, they're, they're in Capernaum. They get there, right? And, and the crowds, well, how did Jesus get here? They go up and ask him, how did you get here so quickly? How did you make this happen? And what does Jesus do? In that story, does he go, well, you know, I walked on the water to get here. Boom! Right? And they're like, whoa, another sign. Do it again. Should entertain us, right? He could have told them how he got there, and they'd have been like, no way. You know, show us again. Go dance on it, right? Go dance on the water. No, they, 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 he doesn't take that opportunity to tell them that he did this, right? And so it's like Jesus is specifically making this sign to be for those who are his followers, for those who are his and his alone. And so I would, I would just kind of put before you that this is the difference between the different kind of graces that people can experience from God. And, and, and an easy way to describe it would be common grace and saving or special grace. There's a big difference. So, so all of creation, all of the world has experienced God's common grace, which means it's his goodness towards an unredeemed, unbelieving people. God's goodness, all people get to experience it, don't they? Right? We, we believe it. Regardless of their convictions about Jesus, there are, there are tons of, every human being has in some way experienced the common grace of God, whether that's eating some really good food or that's enjoying sex or that's the, the sunrises uh, that, that, in the early mornings or, or the fact that it rises on both the good and the evil or that the rain falls both on the good and the evil, Right? God's goodness in restraining sin, God's goodness in acts of mercy and kindness to the earth. Like we even see God so loved the world. That's a common grace for all the world to know. A specific kind of love from the Father. But then there's this special grace, this saving grace that's unique for only those who have a conviction that Jesus is the Son of God sent to the world. Only those who believe and receive in Jesus seem to have this unique kind of grace from God, one that saves, one that uh, brings in God's presence into their lives, one that br- makes them adopted sons and daughters of God, where they get to experience not just the common love, but they get to experience the fatherly love of God. And not just that, but it's the saving special grace of like justification, of regeneration, of sanctification, of the spirit indwelling. Like, like all of these things are unique to only believers, and so, so there are things that only, only Christians will get to enjoy about God, and the rest of the world won't. So this sign is a special grace, I would say. It is something particular for those of us who have received Jesus. 
So we're going to walk through it with those seven or six points. Again, like write it down and you'll see how it flips over on the end. And the first one is command. The first one is command. Now you don't see it in this gospel account, but it's in the others. Let's just read verse 16 and 17. It says this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. We find out in the other Gospels that both in Matthew and Mark, Jesus commands the disciples to go there. He says, uh, you go there, I'm going to go up to the hillside. And he says, he goes up to pray. Uh, He dismisses himself from the crowd. He goes and prays, and the disciples are sent to Capernaum. They get the command. So if if you see the Sea of Galilee, right, currently they're kind of like over here and they're trying to get northwest. Capernaum is northwest on the Sea of Galilee. Remember, we've heard of Capernaum before. That's where the the royal official's son was healed. When the father went and found Jesus in Cana, and Jesus said, your son will live, go. And so he goes home and finds his son alive in Capernaum. So rumors are already starting to spread in Capernaum. So Jesus intends to go there. His disciples are commanded to go there, and Jesus was going to meet them there. And so the disciples, instead of walking all the way around, they've got access to a nice little boat. They get in this boat. Now remember, there's no power boats here. They don't got a 12-horsepower engine pushing them along in the water, right? No, they've got this small little blanket, That's going to push them across the water, right? A sail with a small mast and a small sail, a small little boat. And they also have some oars, right? They have a few oars that they can row themselves along and get there, right? But the command is simple. Get to Capernaum. Go there. But what happens? This is where we get to theme number two, threat. The threat rolls in. Look at verse 17, the second part of it. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. So let's think geography real quick, right? So I just showed you kind of the best map that you've ever seen with the Sea of Galilee right here, right? You see, can you see it? Well, take it this way. The Sea of Galilee actually lies about 600 feet below sea level. And, and cool air from the southeast uh, tablelands, they can rush in over the mountaintops and they can rush down into the lake and they can displace a lot of the warm, moist water that's over the, er, the air. And, and what happens is, is this massive, violent churning of air, which then air pushes water and makes very heavy curtains or uh, currents, not curtains, they need the curtain for the sail. So, like, you can even know this today. Like, even today, they have uh, the similar situations. Power boats are periodically warned to remain docked when these wind squalls uh, throw up and, or start to, to swell up, and, and they start to form these really watery uh, white caps. If you've ever seen those, you know you need to stay off the water because it's, it's torrential. So, so, this wind blows in, and not only that, but Darkness sets in too, right? Now, you got to keep in mind, these things hadn't been invented yet. These things called light bulbs. And, and they didn't have one of Joseph's flashlights that's pretty much the sun in your hand. No, they, 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 they just have darkness and maybe a candle. So they can hardly see anything and they feel everything. 
The strong winds pick up. They can't see anything, and the winds start to push them. Starts to push them away from their intended direction. And so they throw the sail down. They try to get rid of the wind's force on the boat, but you know wind can push current too. And so they're trying to start to row against the current, and they're not making it. Guys, one of my favorite things to do is to go kayaking. Uh, I love to kayak. I love getting out on the water, and I love to, to, to row around. And, and, and like, even in a small little dinghy thing, if there's a little bit of squall of a wind, if I'm just sitting there, I'll just start drifting, 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 and just end up somewhere where I'm not even trying to go. And that's a small little kayak. And here is a bigger boat catching more wind with more water current. Like, it's uncontrollable. It's chaotic. And it's supposed to be. Because it's playing into a massive theme throughout history and especially in Jewish culture. It's how people viewed the sea. How people in this time, and even some still today, view large bodies of water. You see, Jews in particular believed that large masses of water were symbolic for disorder and chaos and death. So to go venture out onto a sea like this was to venture across what most people viewed to be death, to be disorder and chaos. And that's not just like some historical notion, right? That's still true, even in, even in um, fictional narratives, right? Like in the Lord of the Rings, right? Have, you, have any of y'all seen the Rings of Power, the new Amazon Prime one? Yeah, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I was concerned what it might include when it first mentioned they were uh, coming out with it, um, but it's, it's been really clean, and I've actually loved a lot of the themes in it. And, and one of the things you kn- find out is about a, a sea captain from the city of Numenor. He's training up his people, and one of the most common things that he tells his people, he repeats it again and they repeat it back, is the sea is always right. The sea is always right because it can't be controlled. In fact, you find out later that his wife drowned in the sea. So, so, so you have this, this theme of death, this threat of, of chaos and disorder and death lapping up against the boat, pushing you away from your destination. And it shouts its curses and threats every time a wave crashes against the boat. So you have fear just building. It's rising. You have darkness looming. You can't see a thing. And the sea keeps threatening its demise. And that's where we get to inadequacy. The third key theme. Inadequacy. Are the disciples making headway to their destination? No. No. Look at verse 19. After they had rowed about three or four miles. They've got the oars out, and they're rowing against the wind, and they're like tag-teaming. Oh, you're done? I'm exhausted. Can you hop in here, John? Yeah, I got this. Let's go. And then he rows, and they're just, they're not making any progress or headway to their destination. The wind actually pushes them into the middle of the lake, the middle of the Sea of Galilee, according to the Gospel of Mark. So like, no matter how hard they tried, They couldn't do what Jesus had told them to do. They couldn't get there. 
and the dark threat of death was lurking below, and they were completely incapable, completely inadequate to escape it. Guys, they, 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 they weren't going to MacGyver themselves out of this one. There, no human innovation was going to make this better for them. No leadership or any effort or initiative from any of the disciples was actually going to solve this problem. They were totally inadequate and helpless. And I know that many of us have felt that before, and when you feel helpless, the very next logical thing to feel is fear. That's the fourth theme, fear. So this terrible experience turns even more terrifying. Look at verse 19. They saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. Now, this gospel doesn't include what the others do. John just says they saw Jesus. Of course, if I see Jesus and I know it's him and I'm in the middle of this squall, I'm like, yeah, come on, buddy, let's go get in the boat. They were terrified. Why? Because they actually saw thought they saw a ghost. The other gospels say that they were terrified because they thought they saw a ghost. I mean, wouldn't you be terrified? You're in the darkness. The waves are lapping up. The threat of death looming. You can't see anything. And then off in the distance, you see this creature, this individual, this man coming to you on the water. I think you'd tinkle your undergarments a little bit, wouldn't you? Like, you have the fear of inadequacy, of missing the mark. You have the fear of the boat just capsizing from the waves and the wind. You have the fear of the sea taking you, and now you have this fear of what is this unknown human being, this unknown person coming to you, and you think it's a ghost. It is a very frightful moment for the disciples but praise God, it wasn't a ghost. Who is it? It's Jesus. Ah, church, come on. Who is it? This is Sunday school. Who is it? It is Jesus. That's the fifth theme in this. It's Jesus. Look at verse 20. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. So let's backtrack. We know now that it's not a ghost. Obviously, John wrote that in there, that it was Jesus. We know it wasn't a ghost, but the disciples, they find out now, oh wait, it's not a ghost. It's our Savior. It's the Messiah. It is Jesus. Jesus comes to them, and this human being who they've touched with their hands is walking on water. Walking on water. Guys, this is one of two miracles recorded in this sign. He's walking on water. Like, who can do that? Now, I swear, if one of you says, oh, what about that little Jesus Christ lizard that can run across water? I'm going to lose it. No, don't do that. He just goes really fast, and he's got web. Anyways, we've got this Jesus who's walking on water. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed that water doesn't stay together when you step on it? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that it separates when you step on it and you sink? Of course we know that. But here we have Jesus who's stepping on the water and it's, it's doing what's unnatural to it. Actually, I would even say that it's actually more natural for the water to support Christ because He is God. And all of creation supports Him. All of creation upholds Him, points to Him. He stands on all of creation. 
and it obeys him. It supports him. And as Jesus does this, he confirms who he is to the disciples. He says, it is I. The Greek is ego eimi. Ego eimi, which literally is I am. It's I am. So at a minimum, what Jesus has done here, ego eimi, right? He's not actually, he's saying it in the, in the Aramaic, but in the Greek. Ego eimi, I am. At a minimum, he's saying, it's me. He's saying, it's me, right? Don't be afraid, it's me. At a minimum, he's just doing a basic identity thing, right? Like when my kids are terrified and, and they're running around the house with a bad dream, I go, hey, and they're trying to get away. No, no, it's me, it's me, it's me, right? That's as simple as it is. Or at a maximum, Jesus is identifying himself as Yahweh, the great I am. The great I am. And so, so Jesus could be introducing to us what he's going to start doing in the rest of these uh, uh, stories, in the rest of this gospel, confirming his own identity. So, so in the gospel of John, there are seven unique I am statements. There's seven signs and then seven unique I am statements. The statements are, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. And all of those start with ego eimi. So if you take this sign with Jesus saying, I am, or it is I, and couple it with what he just did with the feeding of the 5,000, he's setting himself up to say, I am the bread of life, which is the discourse that we're going to be looking at next week. But like it's Jesus here. In the middle of all their fear and all of their inadequacy and all of their failures, Jesus comes near to them. And here we see God's mercy on display. And then we get to our sixth key theme. And that's safety. It's safety. John is the only one to include this in his recounting of this story. The others don't. Look at verse 21. When they were willing to take him on board, then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. There's our second miracle. As soon as Jesus gets into the boat, they immediately arrive at the Capernaum Harbor. Guys, uh, one time I went kayak fishing with my brother Paul Prince. He's got a fancy kayak. He's got one of those that has a motor on it. And we went kayak fishing uh, down on the Shenandoah River. And uh, the current is really strong. And all I've got is these things, right? You got to paddle out there. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to get up. You know what he did? He held onto my kayak revved his engine, and he just took me right up the river like it was nothing. I could just sit back and watch as he goes, right? Like it was really cool. All I had to do was hold on to him. He pushed me up the current. You see here, we see 
Jesus gets in the boat and they arrive immediately. Now, I, don't, I, I have to kind of visualize it. Does that mean that it looked like they had a 2,000 horsepower engine and they're just plowing through the water going lightning speed? Or is it teleportation? I just don't know. I don't think it matters. What we do know and what matters is that when Jesus got in the boat, they were safely arriving. Not by their human effort. Not because they became adequate. Not because they, Jesus gets in the boat. He gives them a great pep talk and the disciples high five one another. Hey, we can do this. And they start rowing themselves to Capernaum, overcoming all the current and the wind and the waves. No. They take Jesus into their boat and they're immediately safe. That's the story. And John records this as the fifth sign in his gospel of the seven. Why? Why is it so important? What's the point of this narrative? I mean, each sign that we've seen so far has pointed to some deep truth or deep truths about the nature of Jesus and the nature of his ministry. But what, what does this one point to? What's it a sign for? Is it a sign that, that Jesus can walk on water? That's a nice kid's story, right? Is that all that this is about? Hey, Jesus can walk on water. Look, he's got some power. No. Like, like remember that this sign is specifically for the disciples, for the, the ones who have decided to follow Jesus. Can you hear it? Yeah, the bells that you hear throughout different stories throughout the Old Testament pointing up to what is the culmination, the climax, the whole point of God's ministry here on earth. It's the bells that you can hear that ring out gospel. This is the gospel Again and again here, we, we uh, would say that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that God sent Jesus to rescue us from sin and death and to restore us back to a safe and right relationship with God. The whole point of this sign is that God is revealing the heart of the gospel to those who follow him. He is pointing them to it. So like the disciples here, they're the ones who get this fifth sign and it's the clearest display of the gospel that they've seen yet. Can you see it? Follow back with me. First, the command, right? The first theme that it got at. We have this command given by God to humanity to not eat of the fruit, right? And, and, and Genesis 2, God tells them, don't eat of the fruit of this tree. Old Testament law, we have all these different commands that were given. If you can keep them, God will meet you there when you keep them, right? Oh, but they couldn't. And so second, the threat comes in, right? The threat, we can't keep the commands, we're gonna die. And surely if you eat of this fruit, you will die was the threat, the consequence of sin. And in that day, it happened, right? And death was separation from God. The threat came in and the threat was realized. Then third, we found out our inadequacy. The inadequacy that all human beings have. Can we keep the command? No. 
Can we follow what God has asked? No, we have failed miserably time and time and time again. We couldn't get there. We couldn't obey God's command. No matter what we innovated, no matter how much effort we put into us, no matter how much striving we labored with, we couldn't keep the command. And we found out that we were more weak than we could realize and there were forces out in the world that were too strong that kept us from getting there. And then fourth, we find out what fear really is. Like we have every reason to be terrified as human beings, sinful and broken. Sin thrusts us into a dark world, into darkness. Death lurking constantly beneath us, lapping up against the waves and the sides of the boat that constantly remind us that we deserve it for our inadequacy. And then fifth, oh the fifth, Jesus. Jesus comes to us in our inadequacy. He comes to us in our lostness and in our fear, and he comes near the boat of humanity, and he's walking across the waves. You realize that what that means, that the whole point of this is not that Jesus could simply walk on water. You remember what the sea meant to the Jews? It meant death, and here Jesus is standing over it. He cannot be slain by it. He cannot be succumbed to it. He walks over it as in he has conquered death and chaos and disorder. And in fact, everywhere he steps, order comes into being. Order comes into existence. So the whole point of this is that no matter how choppy, no matter how threatening, no matter how powerful, Jesus stands over death and he offers to get into the boat and safely take us home. And if we receive him into our lives, those who will have him, he jumps in and then we get safety. We have safety. We arrive at the destination. The command is obeyed in us, not because we've done it, but because Jesus has done it for us in our place. And in doing that, we're safe. In doing that, we've escaped death. We get to safely moor ourselves to the harbors of God's eternal grace. Isn't this so gospelicious? Isn't this so good? Guys, this has been God's plan all along. He's been writing about this for millennia. Look at Psalm 107. He spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths, their courage melting away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard, and all their skill was useless. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor they longed for. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Guys, this is the gospel. The gospel is designed to point out our inadequacies to keep the law, to keep the command. And, and, and you know, like, I don't have to convince you hard, right? Like, like you know that. You know how, how broken we can find ourselves to be. The, the, the scary part of how the, the potential of what could come out of our hearts is terrifying. I don't, like, I don't feel like I have to convince you hard of our inadequacy to actually obey God's commands. But not only that, we don't have to hide it. 
Because we're all in the middle of the, the Sea of Galilee. We're all in the same boat together as human beings, which means it's okay to not be okay. Like it's okay, like, like, like it's okay to realize that we're not there yet, that we're inadequate, that we're incapable. But God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us in that darkness and that despair and the threat of death looming because we are inadequate. No, he offers a rescue from death, a rescue from the, the, the darkness and despair, and he restores us back to a relationship with God. And it's not by your own efforts that the command is fulfilled. When you receive Jesus into your lives, he doesn't say, all right, get back to rowing. See if you can get there. I'll just stay and watch. No, he fulfills the commands in us. Like, guys, we don't have to white-knuckle our way into heaven. Like, we, we don't have to muscle up and think, all right, I've got to stop doing this bad thing and start doing these good things, right? And, and, and in, that, in that, I'm going to be saved. In that, I'm going to get there. No, no, no. You take Jesus into your life. You bring Jesus into the boat, and immediately, you're home. Immediately, you're safe. It's receiving Jesus. It's receiving his command. Letting him become the captain of the ship of your life. And doing things his way. And in his presence, when we receive him into our lives, we're thrust across death and safe at shore. All because he died and rose from death. Scripture says that Jesus became sin. Jesus became inadequate. Jesus became weak. Who knew no sin, knew no inadequacy, who knew no weakness, so that we might become his righteousness, so that we might arrive, so that we might get safely to the shore. Guys, this is the gospel of God's grace on display for those who are his. And it's available now. It is a free gift of grace for all who would receive Jesus into the boat of their lives and let him be the captain. Let him live his life through you. And in doing so, you'll be safe at shore. And so I would ask that if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. Some of you are, 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 are recognizing for the first time that, that this, really, this really is pointing out like this good news of the gospel. And some of you are hearing this good news and, and you're far from God. You're in the middle of the sea trying with all your might to be good enough trying to effort your way to the shores of God's blessings and grace. And you're finding out how incapable you really are. And you've known it for a long time, but scared to admit it for the, uh, the fear of appearing weak. And yet today you're realizing that Jesus has come near to you. And he's willing to meet you in that darkness, meet you in the threats, meet you in the fear, and get into the boat of your life and take you safely home.
Are you wanting to receive Jesus today? If you have been far from God, if you've not walked with Him and and, and been restored back to a right relationship with Him, and you want Jesus to get into the boat of your life and get you safely ashore, would you just raise your hand? Praise God. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.